And welcome everyone and all you who've come this morning. So grateful to see you, you that are joining online. And I must admit, uh, I was wondering with the weather this weekend, Christmas on Sunday, is anybody going to show up? <laughs> Last night, uh, well, I can't say night, three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, we was packed here, absolutely. And then this wonderful gathering this morning, uh, it's not, oh, ye of little faith, oh, me of little faith. I have to say that. So thank you for coming. This is a wonderful place to be on Christmas Sunday morning, isn't it? So glad you're here. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm given a little um, order of what's going to take place in the services. I'm following along, enjoyed it. And then it got down to my part. And it says, from Pastor Sam, a message of good tidings and great joy to all people in less than 5,000 words. <laughs> I won't say who gave me that, but it's here. My only response would be, I wish you a Merry Christmas because it's just a wish it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, it is a blessing to gather here on Christmas morning and on Sunday morning. And I want you to know this is a unique blessing. It's unique because there's not going to be another Christmas on Sunday morning for 11 years. Did you know that? Not until 2033 will Christmas come on a Sunday morning. And so this is very, very uh, unique. And uh, let's savor it because it's not going to be here for a few years. It's a unique morning. And so I prayed, Lord, what would be the passage? What would you like to have from your word on this unique gathering on a Christmas Eve such as we had last evening and this unique gathering to have on Sunday morning on Christmas Day. And so my, my thoughts were led to what might be considered a unique passage for Christmas Sunday morning. But I want you to know really it's not because the passage I'd like to share with you this morning is the first recorded reference in the New Testament to the birth of Christ and its meaning. It's the first recorded reference to the birth of Christ and its meaning in the New Testament. And what gospel is it found in? Well, not a gospel at all. It's found in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles or if you like to use the Bibles provided, we're going to show the reference on the screen. Galatians chapter 4. And we'll look at this passage of scripture and you say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> the Gospels come before Galatians and that's right, in the order of the books of the Bible, the Gospels certainly come before the book of Acts and the epistles of Paul. But remember, the New Testament is not laid out chronologically. It's, it is laid out to begin with an understanding and and a meaning of the life of Christ. 
But as far as chronologically, almost all Bible scholars agree that the book of Galatians, a letter by Paul written to those earliest non-Jewish congregations in western Turkey today, known as Galatia in that day, is the first book of the New Testament that was written probably in the late 40s AD. Now, this letter is a letter about the gospel. It's a declaration of the gospel. It's a defense of the gospel. Because certainly that is what the enemy, Satan, wanted to attack after the resurrection and ascending of Jesus. He wanted to attack the good news, the gospel of Jesus, right? And so Paul sees the gospel under attack among these churches. And he writes to make sure they understand what is the true gospel. There's only one. And in writing to them about this true gospel, as he comes to his concluding thoughts, he takes them back to the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel. And here's what Paul wrote. It is the word of God, and I'd like us to read it together. And so would you, if you can, please stand and the verses will come on the screen. You can follow along. But let's read this together. Would you read it with me? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. That's wonderful, isn't it? Many years ago, there was a, a large family, mom and dad, several children, that were providing foster care for a little girl that had bounced around from orphanage to orphanage and from foster home to foster home. They took her in, provide foster care, and then not long before Christmas, their sincere desire and prayer was answered. They were able to adopt this little girl. And so to celebrate and also to go out and to shop for Christmas, they went out as a family went downtown, the small city where they lived, and they began shopping in stores. Of course, the crowds were huge. And finally, one of them noticed that the little girl wasn't with them. And everyone began searching all over the store, and then other stores looking for this little girl. And finally, they're out on the sidewalks, and that's when they see her. They find this little girl with her nose pushed up against the window of a toy store. <laughs> with all the bright, beautiful toys lit 
on the other side. And as they come up to her, they can hear her saying over and over again, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Well, friends, this is what I'd like us to do this morning. I'd like us just to stand before this window of the Word. And I want us to consider what the Lord says here about the coming of the Son of God. And I do pray that on this Christmas Sunday morning, as we leave this place, thinking about this amazing truth that we can be saying from our hearts, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Now from this passage this morning, what I'd like to do is just call to your attention three amazing, wonderful things that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares about the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And remember, this is the first reference and the first real explanation of the coming of the Son of God ever recorded. And I think that you will see it truly is the gospel, the good news of glad tidings of great joy. <laughs> Even though it may take me more than 5,000 words to say. <laughs> now notice, if you would, first of all, what Paul writes here is so wonderful in its promptness. In its promptness. Notice, the Word of God says, but when the fullness of the time had come. When the fullness of the time had come. That word fullness, a very remarkable word. The underlying word is a word pronounced pleroma. Pleroma. And it means completely full. Totally full. It's the idea of a, perhaps a glass or a container completely full of liquid and one more drop will send it over the edge. It means that Jesus Christ came at the absolutely perfect moment because our God is always on time. <laughs> now, why, why can we look back and say that was the perfect moment for Jesus to come? Not 500 years earlier, not a thousand years later. Why was that the perfect moment for Jesus to come? Well, consider a few things with me. First of all, it was the perfect time in regard to the government. In regard to the government. We know that Jesus was born at the time when the Roman Empire ruled over the entire western area of the world. From England, Britain in the west, Germany in the north, to Egypt in the south, 
to Persia in the east, there was one rule. It was the rule of the Roman Empire. It was unified. There were no border crossings. There were no need of passports. And the most fabulous road system that had ever existed and the greatest road system that would ever exist until modern times united all this immense territory. It was a perfect time. It was a perfect time also because it was a time of peace. There was not turmoil and war between nations. In the forum in Rome, there was a small temple called the Temple of Janus. And Janus was one of the ancient gods of Rome. He was portrayed as having two faces, one this way, one that way. He was the god of beginnings and endings. And he was considered also to be a part of the beginnings of conflicts, wars, and the ending of conflicts. And whenever there was war in the empire, the doors of the temple of Janus were open. And whenever there was peace in the empire, the doors of the temple of Janus were closed. When Jesus Christ was born, those doors had been shut for 35 years. There was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace over all the earth. It's a false peace, but it was a peace and security and stability that was provided so the Prince of Peace <laughs> would come with true peace. It was the perfect time, the fullness of time in regard to the government. It was the fullness time in regard to the language. Never before or since had the entire world been united around one language, the Greek language. Thanks to Alexander the Great, who 350 years before the birth of Jesus, in his conquering, took Roman culture and took rather Greek culture and Greek language all over the Western world. And so that the lingua franca, the common language of the world at that time was the Greek language. Anybody who had a relative education at all could speak that language. And also, 200 years before the birth of Christ, the scattered Jewish people who no longer could speak their native language, Hebrew, only the scholars could speak it, they saw to it that all of their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, were all translated into the Greek language. So that when Jesus was born for 200 years, the world, not just the Jews, but the world had been hearing these prophecies about one who was coming who would be Savior and Deliverer. And there was a language that would take this good news of his birth everywhere. It was a perfect time. 
in regard to the government. It was a perfect time in regard to language. It was a perfect time, listen, in regard to religion. For thousands and thousands of years, the peoples of the world had worshipped every kind of God imaginable. Untold millions of gods worshipped for thousands of years and none of them had brought peace to people's hearts. The world was a place of superstition and even religion was dominated by fear. And for the Jewish people, their wonderful scriptures had been so covered over with rules and man-made regulations of generations of rabbis that the beautiful message of faith in Jehovah had become a code of law-keeping and rule-keeping that no one could accomplish. And so the Jewish people had only one hope, and that hope was Messiah will come. And the only hope that the world has was that some God would come who could bring peace. Friends, it was the perfect time. It was a perfect time for God to carry out and bring to earth His perfect plan. And that's the second thing I want you to see about Paul's statement. The wonderful coming of Christ was wonderful in its promptness and it was wonderful in its plan. What happened? In the fullness of time, what happened? Here's the plan. God sent forth His Son. At the perfect moment, God sent forth His Son. Now think about that. This is eternal God, eternal God the Father sending forth His eternal Son. Before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem, the eternal Son of God had existed with the Father through the endless ages. What did Isaiah prophesy? Unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son is given. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. And look at that phrase, sent forth. It's an amazing word again. The word there is ex apostolo, ex apostello. And it means sent as an apostle <laughs> or sent as a messenger. Our word apostle comes from here. It means one who carries a message on behalf of a ruler or a teacher. And it says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent His Son forth as the messenger. 
What does the Bible tell us in John? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Goes on to say the Word what? Became flesh. God sent forth His Son. His messenger of the good news. What was the last promise of the Old Testament? Do you remember it? 300 years before the birth of Jesus, the last promise written in the book about Malachi was this. That suddenly will come the messenger of the covenant. The Lord will appear in His temple. Suddenly, the messenger of the covenant will come. God sent forth His messenger. His messenger of a new covenant. Not a covenant that's etched in stone like on Mount Sinai. But a covenant of the Spirit where people will be born anew. And the law of God will be written on their minds. And He's sending forth His Son to bring this new covenant between God and and man. Notice. He sent forth his son from heaven. But notice how the son came. In the fullness of the time. God sent forth his son. Notice. Born of woman. Born under the law. Born of woman. Born under the law. Now isn't it interesting? Born of woman. Why is it said like that? Because God had told Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember after their sin? And he had told the serpent. Who had deceived them. Of the descendants of the woman. One is coming. And serpent, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. There is one coming to be born of a woman and serpent, you will wound him but he will crush you and destroy you. What was it that Isaiah, again the great prophet, said? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He came as the great messenger, but he came as the mighty warrior to overcome our greatest enemy, the devil himself. And on the cross, the Son of God, his heels were bruised with the spikes, but by his death, he conquered Satan. And he proved that victory in resurrection. Born of a woman. Then it says, born under law. 
Now, why would Paul say that? It's for this reason. Listen carefully. For God to save us, he had to become like us, and he had to come to us. He had to become like us in order to save us, so he had to be born of a woman. He's coming as the the second Adam, the new Adam, born of a woman. But he also has to come to where we are. And where are we? We're under the law of God. We're under God's commandments. And what have we done, all of us? We've all broken God's laws. We've miserably broken them. We're totally responsible for all these commandments of God that we have broken. We can't keep them. But the Son of God came in our place, listen, to keep the law for us. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law. I have come to fulfill it. My friend, remember from the moment of his coming, Jesus was coming on your behalf, living on your behalf. Living the life that you could not live and I could not live. Living the life of obedience in spite of our disobedience. Living the life we could not live and then what? Dying the death that we should have died. He died in our place. What did He do? He kept the law that we had broken And then he took the punishment for all the breaking of the law that we had done. He accepted the responsibility to fulfill the law for people who had broken it. And he took upon himself the responsibility to pay the debt with his own life for their sin. And what is the wages of sin? The Bible's quite clear. The wages of sin is what? Death. Separation from God. Now and forever. What did we need, friends? It's all wrapped up in one word. We needed a redeemer. Someone who could set us free. And that is the final perfect thing I want you to see about the coming of Jesus. It's perfect in its timing. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. It's perfect in its plan. Born of a woman, born under the law, But it's perfect in its purpose. It's perfect in its purpose. What's the purpose? Why did Jesus come? A twofold purpose. Jesus came for two purposes. 
redemption and adoption. Redemption and adoption. Notice what it says. He came to redeem those who were under the law. Now the word redeem here. A beautiful word. The word redeem ordinarily is the word agorazo. Agorazo. It means to buy something in the marketplace. Because the marketplace was called the agora or agora. To go buy something in the marketplace was agorazo. But here, something's added on to that word. And the word redeem is not agorazo, it's exagorazo. Exagorazo. And in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, that word meant one thing. It meant to go to the marketplace and to purchase and take out of the marketplace a slave. That's what it meant. It meant to go to the marketplace and purchase a slave out of the marketplace. Now you say, how can that possibly be a word that the Lord would use for our salvation for this reason when it comes to sin we are slaves we are slaves to sin we are in bondage to our own sin and the breaking of God's law and Jesus came to set us free. Why? How did he do that? By paying the price of our freedom. He paid the price. What was the price of our sin? The wages of sin. What did we say? It's death. Christ came to die. To die for who? Slaves. Slaves of sin. He became a slave. And paid the price of our slavery. To do what? Now listen carefully. Jesus didn't come to purchase slaves to make them slaves. Jesus came to purchase slaves to emancipate them. To set them free. To pay the price for their freedom. Jesus Christ never brings bondage. Anything that brings bondage. Anything in the name of Christianity that brings fear and brings bondage. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to set people free. Jesus tells us if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came and died for our sins. He purchased us with His own blood to no longer have us be slaves, 
but to have us experience the ultimate freedom. And here is the jaw-dropping truth. Don't miss it. It would have been incredible if Jesus had just come and paid the price to set us free from our sins. That would have been unimaginable, but you can't wrap your mind around what Jesus does. Read what Paul says. He redeems us from the slavery of broken laws that we might receive what? The adoption as sons. My friend, Jesus set slaves free so slaves can become sons and daughters of God and his brother and sister. In the Roman world, if a wealthy man had no children as an heir, here's what he could do. And it was often done. He could designate one of his household servants to be his heir. And here's how it was carried out. The man would take this servant... And the man would be wearing the servant clothes. His master would go down to the forum. The civic center of the community. And he would declare that he was freeing this man from slavery. Or this woman from slavery to make him or her his heir. And then the outer garment of the slave would be taken off. And the garment of a family member, an adult family member, would be put on that person. Then the man would take the ring of the family, the signet ring, and put it on the finger to seal that this person was a family member. The robe on, giving a new identity. Shoes on their feet, no longer the sandals of a slave, but the shoes of an honored family member. And then, the servant was given a new name the family name. And that was the servant's name. Now a son. Now a child forever. And became the full heir of all that was the father's. Now this happened in Roman society. But now do you understand it? In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to us. 
And he was made of a woman to become like us. And he was made under the law to come to where we are in our slavery. He lived the perfect law of God on our behalf. He died for all of our broken laws. He paid the price. He sets us free. Then he brings us before his father. Gives the seal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Covers us with the robes of righteousness. Places on us the shoes of a valued child. And then gives us a new name. The family name. And we become heirs of God. And joint heirs with Jesus in his family. Friends, I want to ask you something. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Many years ago, there was a teenage boy who was led to Christ by his Sunday school teacher in Boston. And over the coming years, that teenage boy grew up. He moved to Chicago as a businessman, and he became a leader of Sunday schools himself and became noted for his powerful preaching. His name was Dwight Lehman Moody, D.L. Moody. And God so used him in the United States, he and then in other countries, especially over in Great Britain, he, he became what you basically could call the Billy Graham of the 19th century. In one of his travels to England, he had his song leader with him, a man by the name of Ira Sankey, who led the singing in the great gospel gatherings that Dwight L. Moody held and preaching the gospel everywhere. Well, they were in England and they were told that outside of the city where they were preaching, there was a caravan, large caravan of the Roma people. Now, the Roma people commonly referred to then and sometimes even today as gypsies. They went out to Share the gospel. And Ira Sankey sang songs. And Dwight L. Moody preached. And many people responded to give their lives to Jesus. As they were getting up in the carriage to go back into the city, a woman came running with her little baby boy holding him up to... Moody and Sankey. And Ira Sankey said he felt strangely led to pray for this little boy. And he felt led to pray a very unique prayer. And he put his hands upon the head of that little boy. 
and prayed that God would bless him, make of him a great Christian, and use him to preach the gospel to thousands. Well, that little boy's name was Rodney. And in a few years, he did become a Christian. And he began to teach the Bible. And God greatly empowered his messages. And he became so well known in England and then eventually in America. As a matter of fact, over his long life, he crossed the Atlantic over 40 times by steamer in preaching the gospel. And he used as his name, Gypsy, Gypsy Smith. He lived into his 80s. And in the late 1940s, when someone came to him on occasion and said, Gypsy, how, how do you account for this amazing work that the Lord has done for you. How, what, is, what is the secret to all of this? And here's what Rodney Gypsy Smith said as an old man. Tears running down his face. He looked at the one who asked the question and he said this. I suppose if there's one thing, it's the fact that I never lost the wonder of it all. I never lost the wonder of it all. This week, I went out on YouTube and I listened to some old records made decades and decades ago of Gypsy Smith preaching and then he would break out in song. Singing. And you know, I thought as I heard him coming up through the grooves of that plastic, I could still hear the wonder of it all. Now I have two questions for you, my friend, today. First of all, if you know that you are one who believes in Jesus, your hope is in Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you this, this Christmas day. Have you lost the wonder of it all? When is the last time? In maybe a very different moment than Doug's here. But you just were overwhelmed of what the Lord did for you on that night divine. Have you lost the wonder of it all? Friend, I beg you, get along with the Lord. Open up this blessed book. Read of this Savior who loves you so who came to you in your slavery, set you free, and has made you a child of the Father, his co-heir forever. Talk to him. And I want to tell you, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
Have you lost the wonder of it all? That's the first question. And then the second question, friend, I want to ask you, and I ask to anyone watching, have you ever experienced the wonder of it all? I'm so glad you're here in church today. I'm so thankful that you've come. I'm grateful that someplace in your heart you felt like being in church on Christmas morning is where you wanted to be. I look out over faces of what I'm assured are no doubt as valued by the world, world wonderful people. You are wonderful people. But friend, I want to ask you, have you ever experienced the wonder of it all? That to know when it says God sent His Son to redeem people under the law to turn slaves into sons and daughters, has it ever sunk into your mind? He means you. You. Only He can do this. This church cannot redeem you. Your religion cannot save you. Your good works cannot set you free. My friend, there's one who crossed eternity, who crossed the universe, who came to Bethlehem with his destination Calvary for one person and one purpose. You and your freedom. Where is that freedom? That freedom is in Jesus. Wrap your arms around Jesus. To wrap your arms around Jesus, you've got to let go of wrapping them around anything or anyone else as your hope for this life. You've got to wrap your arms around Jesus because to receive Jesus is to receive life because Jesus is life. You say, I want eternal life. Eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is Jesus. Wrap your arms around the gift. The gift is Jesus. The good news is yours. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isn't it wonderful? Lord, help us to be renewed in the wonder of it all. On this Christmas morning, overwhelm us once again with what you did for us. On that dark night and coming as the light of the world, overwhelm us what you did on that dark day when as a light of the world, you were snuffed out on that cross. And Lord, remind us of what you did on that marvelous morning. When you came out of the dark regions of death, bringing eternal light. 
Oh, Lord, may we bow at your feet. May we truly sing joy to this world, joy to my heart. The Lord has come. Oh, Lord, I pray for any who do not know the experience of this new life in Christ. May they come in their hearts and my faith to Jesus today. I, pre- I plead and I pray, oh, Father, in the name of Christ our Lord. God's people said, Amen.